Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 15. I thought long and hard about, well, do we go somewhere else or, uh, you know, am I wearing people out with Proverbs? And then I start thinking, you know, if if anyone could get tired of studying the book of Proverbs, well, maybe maybe that's a good indication they needed that much more. So it's just so practical. And uh, tonight, and we'll just be going a few verses, and I think you'll understand why as soon as we get going here. But I doubt that the practical value of Proverbs can be seen better anywhere else than here. I think this is maybe as clear as it gets. You could, I think, enter into any home, business, church, and it won't be long before you see the need to give attention to this truth. Verse number one is what I'm talking about. And he says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Well, it ought to be obvious to everyone that there is a lot of wrath in the world today because we meet it everywhere we go and and, and it's terribly destructive uh, we we could spend an hour talking about all of the negative bad things that that are caused as a result of of anger and everywhere we go we see anger and uh, we see the results of it and regardless of where you stand there's going to be somebody that's going to stand against you they're going to take the uh, the opposite side of the issue. And normally they take great delight in expressing their feelings. Most people are just not very good at, you know, feeling, uh, well, anger or bitterness or whatever it is without saying something about it. They think, well, I've got to make my feelings known and and generally they do, and naturally that usually involves other people. So uh, here, here you go, you know. Uh, it's, it's very seldom you find somebody that gets disgruntled and they just keep it to themselves or walk away. It's like they've almost got to start a recruiting program and get as many on their side as they possibly can. And uh, then there are those, you know, that go to the extreme, and we see this in the news all the time where, uh, their solution seems to be, well, burn it down or blow it up, you know, put all your anger on display for everybody to see, express it every chance you get, even if it means burning down your own city. I mean, doing harm to innocent people that had nothing to do with the issue whatsoever. But it's amazing to me that 10 or 15 people can get together and especially, especially if they announce it ahead of time, we're going to have a mass demonstration down at the square today, you know, opposing this or that. And man, they've got all of the news cameras right there. It is on the national news. And I've seen certain instances where certain uh, people, I'm thinking of one in particular, you know the one I mean that's always brightly dressed and gets in every photo op that there is and what have you here in our area. And, you know, if the president's there especially, she breaks her neck to get out in the hall and make sure she gets her mug shot on there. And she's had some of those 
some of those protest meetings and, and you'd look at the camera and there wouldn't be 20 people there. But they're getting all of that publicity and that platform to voice their opposition to something. Now, here we're talking about giving an answer. That is a response to someone else. So now this is more than just you expressing yourself but rather you expressing yourself to someone. How we answer this folly, all of the anger and the bitterness that's in the world today is of great importance because if we return evil for evil, in other words, if we try to shout down the protesters, if we try to bash the opposition, call names, all we're going to do is make matters worse. It's like pouring gasoline on fire. It just creates a, a bigger problem. And that's why he says here, a soft answer, that is a gentle answer, turns away wrath. And, and you know, people don't know how to respond uh, to your kindness, to, to you answering them in a soft, gentle voice. And, you know, whenever it's all said and done, even if we lose the debate, we're going to gain a measure of respect from those people in many instances, not always. But we'll gain a measure of respect that will open the door for further discussion. Whereas if we just get in their face and we're screaming and yelling. Now remember what I said at the very beginning? I said this shows the practical value of the book of Proverbs and whether you are... Uh, whether you are at home or at work or in the church, wherever you are, there is a need for us to put into practice what he is saying here. And I, I don't know about you, but this verse really hits home with me because, uh, well, uh, because of my poor track record. I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, all through the years growing up and my temper and the crazy things I did just as a display of temper. But, but even after I got saved and even after I started preaching and, uh, from a lot of observation and personal experience, maybe it'd be better to say personal failure as a young preacher. You know, it took me a while to learn that you can say the right thing the wrong way and do as much harm as though you had said the wrong thing. And and I didn't understand, uh, evidently, that uh, being right doesn't give you the right to be rude. And some of you heard me say, you know, when I started out preaching, the one thing I didn't want to be known for was being a compromiser. I, you know, I had in my mind, I want to be one of those, you know, rugged, two-fisted fundamentalists, I, you know, fighting this and fighting that. And, uh, and by the way, I still think we ought to take a stand against wrong. Uh, there's not any doubt about that, but how we do it is extremely important. That's what this verse here is all about, how we respond uh, to, to, to other people. And if we don't respond right, we end up missing a lot of opportunities to be helpful to them, all because, not the content, but the manner in which we express ourselves. Because nobody likes somebody that, you know, there's a loud mouth, snooty, crude, rude, know-it-all. Nobody likes to be around somebody like that. And so regardless of, of how truthful you are in what you say, regardless of how scriptural it might be, 
they're not going to listen to what you have to say all because, all because of your attitude. And we think about divisions, whether it's in, in, in churches or a division in a home or whether it has to do with politics. And we see our country today so divided. I, I'm convinced that that most of the divisions are caused by our disrespect for one another more than our differences. We we have our differences. But, you know, I know a lot of people that I differ with on certain issues, important issues, by the way, and yet I have a great deal of respect for them, and I certainly, certainly wouldn't want to say anything to harm them in any way. That doesn't mean that I cave in, you know, to what they believe at all. I, I can stand for the truth and, you know, do it in, in a godly way and uh, maintain the relationship. I mean, you can win the argument and turn around and ruin the relationship. Uh, so, some years ago, we had a situation to where, uh, where two fellows were about to go at it. So happened it was in the church parking lot, and I and I didn't really understand exactly what what all was going on. But when I got there and intervened and was about to break up a fight, I discovered, and this was learned in prison, by the way, because they had been there, and one of them used the term "you're dissing me," and I, I thought, "What what is that?" It sounded, you know, I. And then it dawned on me, he's talking about disrespect. Since then, I've I've heard a lot about that. Let me tell you, dissing somebody in prison will get you killed. Probably quicker than anything. Putting someone down, disrespecting them. And let me tell you, this is not a prison, but whenever we disrespect other people, whether you're a preacher, a politician, a policeman, a parent, or a plumber, it doesn't make any difference who you are. What, How you say what you say matters because your attitude is going to affect the advice that you give. We can't control what other people say and do. You know, sometimes we think we'd like to. I've often said, you know, and I tried to run a really tight ship raising our eight children, you know. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. As long as you live under my roof, this is the way it's going to be. And uh, then one one day, one of our, one of our girls uh, uh, ran away from home. Uh, and uh, I had to learn a lesson the hard way. You know, you can control people only to a certain extent. You you can't put them in chains. So, you know, finally we uh, we call the police. We walk the streets, handing out posters. We have no clue, no idea where in the world she had gone. And so finally we get her back home and uh, put her back in her room. Try to take all of the precautions, and lo and behold, she runs away again. You you just can't can't handcuff them to a bed somewhere and make them stay there. Let me tell you, your wife or your husband can leave you at any moment and there's not anything you can do about it. Your children can run away from home whenever they want to and there's not anything you can do about it. And so that's why it's so important that while we're standing for the truth, 
that we be respectful one of another. You can't control what they do, but we ought to be able to control how we respond to any given situation. Uh, self-control, temperance is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God is in control of my life, then He's going to be in control of me. And for us to lose our cool and blow up and pitch a fit, and, and, and you know, sooner or later it happens in almost every, every, every marriage. Uh, it starts out usually as some little old petty something or another, doesn't amount to a hill of beans and uh, not a big deal, but all of a sudden uh, one will raise their voice and the other one tries to out-shout the other one, and so now you've got a shouting match and then somebody will say something, well, you're just like your mother, and oh boy, and then, and then here, here you go, it gets, you know, the, the fight's on. You know, I think maybe part of the problem is we've got this idea that if we speak softly, that, that it must mean that we are weak or our argument is weak, and that's just not true. In fact, over in chapter 25, there's a verse here that I, I marked in my Bible. I want to make sure that I mention it. At verse number 15, it says, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, but here it is, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. A soft tongue breaketh the bone. Uh, now, let that sink in. Uh, whatever we say in a loud voice, we can say in a calm voice. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time for emotion. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And, and I realize that in preaching, like the Lord told the prophet Isaiah, lift up your voice like a trumpet. It's a time to raise your voice, but it's not... It's not whenever we're chewing somebody out and not when we're trying to defend ourselves. So I hope tonight when we leave here that if we don't get anything else out of this study, that we'll go away thinking about this first verse of Proverbs chapter 15. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Verse number 2, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Now notice here, the wise person not only has knowledge, but he knows how to appropriately express his knowledge. Uh, I, I can think of more than one, but I have one preacher friend in mind, uh, especially that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and in fact, he, it also reminded me of the story I heard about the college kid that said to his professor, "You know, you must be the smartest man in the in in the whole world." And he said, "Well, thank you, but why in the world would you say that?" And he said, "Because I don't understand a word you're saying, you know." And and sometimes that's the way it is. We're too smart for our own good. And you know, it's one thing to have all of this knowledge. It's another thing to be able to use that knowledge right in a right way. The tongue of the wise, notice, uses knowledge, but he uses it aright. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, all truth is not appropriate for all people at all times. 
That's why we might, here with a group of adults, we might discuss some adult issues that we wouldn't discuss if we had uh, had some small children here. Uh, I can remember a time where the word homosexual, you uh, a preacher wouldn't even think about using that word from the pulpit. I mean, that's a, it was a word that, you know, that in the minds of people was so filthy, so nasty, so vile, so sinful, you, you wouldn't even use it in any way whatsoever. But we reached the point that we, we, I think now out of necessity, we have to, you know, we have to answer to that problem. And uh, and so now, you know, we use the word. But that's what I'm saying. Having knowledge is one thing. Knowing how to use that knowledge is another thing. And so there's some things that's better left unspoken. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to let everybody know you know it. You don't have to tell the world that you know that. Uh, maybe you remember me saying uh, and my mother didn't go to church simply because dad wouldn't go, but uh, she did profess to be a Christian, but uh, she certainly didn't do anything to, to guide me and sis in any way from a spiritual standpoint. But there was something about my mom that was, uh, and Bev and I laugh about it to this day, that there was this, she had this philosophical mindset to where, she had to comment on everything under the sun, you know, and she uh, had had a little lecture that went along with everything. And, you know, probably the, one of the most irritating thing in the world for, for children especially is for those of us who are parents to get caught in that trap to where we think we've got to comment on everything. We We need knowledge, but we need to learn to use our knowledge aright but notice, the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And, uh, you know, regardless of how much they know, their lack of wisdom causes them to speak, notice, foolish things. And notice the word poureth. This is indicating that they do it in an abundance. Uh, they poureth out foolishness. And uh, we certainly don't want to, you know, go down that path. Because we're responsible for every word that we speak. Now, verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. You know, the Bible teaches that God is spirit. And uh, God is an infinite, invisible spirit. And so, therefore, if we try to describe God, we, we have to use figures of speech. There's no way in the world. I have never seen God. I can't describe God. And if I want to talk about the attributes of God and so forth, then I, I have to use a figure of speech. That's what the writers in the Bible had to do. And, and by the way, there was the Holy Spirit guiding them. And so when it talks about the eyes of the Lord, you know, we, we try to picture God with eyes like we think of eyes. Uh, but the whole point here is God's perception, and His eyes are in every place. It speaks about His hands, it speaks about His arms, and so forth. And I think it's interesting, at least to me, that He speaks about God's eyes being in every place. And all of this is in conjunction here with uh, with our words. Notice verse number 4 for just a minute. 
It says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So you see the verse before and the verse after has to do with the proper use of the tongue. And we need to keep that in mind, you know, whenever whenever we're speaking, we need to keep in mind that as we speak, God is watching. And by the way, that ought to make a difference. That ought to make a difference. I know whenever I was a boy, uh, if I knew... If I knew mom or dad, if I knew they were watching, it made a difference. And uh, some of you remember the story about that foul-mouthed little boy that was at uh, the school I went to. And I come home telling mom, you know, I, I told her, I, I, I said, you ought, you ought to hear those kids, mom, the way they talk. They, they are, boy, they say the nastiest words you've ever heard in your life. It, listen, it wasn't a week. Mom went down. Mom went down to the little local store there in our area that happened to be across the street from the grade school. And there in front of York School was a big old hedge. And as she was walking along that hedge, she heard one of those foul-mouthed little boys over there just cussing a blue streak. And she thought, you know, that sounds like Harold David. And she peeked through the the hedges, and sure enough, she caught me. I mean, I... Uh, it, it was me, and she caught me dead to rights. I would have never said those things if I knew Mama was watching. I, I wouldn't have thought about that. Well, let me tell you, God's watching. God is is alert to everything we say and everything that we do, and uh, because of that, because of that, uh, we need to we need to allow that to govern our behavior. So whenever we look at this. The fact that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, we need to stop and think, how does this affect us? Now, I know there are those that obviously from the way that they live and the things that they do, uh, they don't care what God thinks. There are people like that. You know, I have uh, a lot of stuff on TV I don't care anything about. Uh, I'll watch a football game now and then. But I've got so I kind of like that ID channel. Uh, investigative discovery, I think that's the, what, what it's called. Anybody watch that? I like that because the, nearly all of the stories on there are, are true, based on true stories. And as you watch it, it's like, I can't believe people would do that. It, it's absolutely amazing. In fact, I commented just a, a short time ago to Bev, I said, I'll tell you one thing, you know, watching this, it gives you some insight as to human nature. Let me tell you, there's absolutely nothing that people won't do. They'll go to any length. They'll do absolutely anything whatsoever. And it's all because they don't care what God thinks. They don't care what, uh, you know, you know, if they believed in God, that is. And uh, we need to remember this. But listen, I want to put all of this in the proper balance because a lot of times, you know, we teach our kids, you ought to always be on your best behavior because Jesus is watching. Now, I've heard people that's critical of that, and they say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, I don't know why not. It's the truth, and I think they need to know that the Lord is watching what they do, and that ought to moderate their behavior, you see. Not anything wrong with that. But so many times we just consider that from the negative standpoint, God's not only watching when we say things that are wrong, He's watching when we say things are right. God's not only watching when we say something that is hurtful to someone, but He's watching when we say something that is helpful to someone. 
And God not only watches when we do wrong, He watches when we do right. And that's important because of the fact that so many times in this life, people don't get, they don't get credit. Believe me, there are a lot of housewives that are, uh, that are so faithful. I, I mentioned to Bev today, and I could never, ever, ever put it in words like it needs to be. Uh, but I, I just mentioned to her today something, uh, we were talking about something, and I said, I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate all you've done over all of these years, how that you stuck with me when there was no reason to do so whatsoever, and all the other things that you've done. I don't tell her that enough, but today was an exception, and, you know, and I, and I mentioned some of those things. And the whole fact of the matter is there are a lot of people that do all of the right things and they get very little praise and support for that. And it's helpful to realize that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We talk about the law of sowing and reaping, for example, and what do we do? We nearly always think of that in the context of the negative. That, you know, if we sow the seeds of sin, we're going to reap judgment. That's all true. But the same thing is true that if we sow seeds of kindness, we're going to reap kindness. And so it's important that we understand that God is aware of everything going on in our life. And um, that affects how we behave, and especially it affects what we say to other people. Remember, remember especially in the context of church, when we talk to one another, we're talking to God's children. Think about that. Let that sink in. These are God's children. You know, it's one one thing for me to say certain things about some kid down the street, but it's an, you know, I'd say things to people down the street. Uh, the other day, I... Uh, I happened to see a name on Facebook of some kid, some some guy that I, I I knew back my land when I was in the second third grade I guess and uh, and and so I sent a little message I said is this the the Joe Tyndall that lived on Warren Street and he said yes it is I said well this is this is the guy you shot with a BB gun. <laughs> he knew exactly who it was. And, but the point is, I'd say things to him that I'd never say to my sister. Now, well, let me tell you, whenever we think about God's children, uh, we, we need to speak kindly one to another. Now, verse number four, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Well, I mean, now it's getting down to seeing the importance of all of this. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, and that word perverse has to do with something that is crooked and meandering and so forth. Perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. So the whole point is that the wholesome words of a wise person are a blessing to others. Uh, they, they are a tree of life. And we, think, we think about a tree providing fruit and shade and lumber and all of the different ways that it's beneficial. And, and here it's a tree of life to others, whereas notice the opposite here of those that speak falsehood, those that, whose words are perverse. In other words, they, uh, they end up being a curse instead of a cure. 
And they hinder instead of helping. They destroy rather than delivering. This word breach here means breaking or fracture, crushing or ruin. Perverseness therein, that is in the manner in which we speak, creates a break. We create a broken spirit in the other person. That that reminds us of that little saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that is so very untrue. Uh, I've, I've uh, taken some blows and fights over the years that didn't hurt half as bad as some things that people have, have said to me. That's what really hurts. And uh, we want to guard against that. Now verse number 5, a fool... Well, every time I see that that word fool, you know, and I think about Proverbs and all of the contrast between the fool and the and the wise man over and over and over again. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. That is, he is wise, he's smart. Uh, fools despise correction. And they always have and they always will because they don't want anyone, not even a loving father or mother, telling them uh, what to do. Uh, We're talking about disrespect uh, disrespect earlier. And I don't know that there's ever been a time where I've seen so much disrespect for parents as what I see nowadays. It It is just... It just amazes me. I mean, you can sit when you go to the supermarket and hear some mother with a couple little kids there and the things they say in public to their mother and the disrespect they show. Now, look, I don't blame the kids as much as I do the parents. They, they're the ones that allow that to go on. They need to put a stop to that. And we see it everywhere we go. And it, it, it's such a shame. And let me tell you, as as a parent, there's just almost nothing hurts you any more than for one of your own children's that you love dearly with all of your heart, and for them to be disrespectful, for them to put you down, to ignore you or rebuke you or whatever it is, is a very painful thing. Well, you know... The, that shows what kind of people they are. A fool despises their father's instruction, but but he that regardeth the reproof is prudent. You know, the wise person's eager to learn. They want to know more. Uh, I, I've often said I wish that I had applied myself whenever I was in school. I, boy, I, like everybody else, I had a great opportunity. I I, I could have learned so many things, but all, I, the only thing I could think of was getting out. You know, I, I just wanted out of there as quick as I could, and uh, I didn't avail myself of that opportunity. And it was an extremely foolish thing to do because the wise person, they want to learn, and they're willing to show respect for instruction. Listen, even if it comes by way of correction, uh, the wise person has a teachable, humble spirit about them. I, I could uh, I could stand here and brag for an hour about uh, about my kids, and that's not to say that I haven't uh, uh, that none of them have ever failed. They have, but I'll tell you what. Uh, 
in spite of my faults and failures, because I, I certainly didn't always have my act together, you know, as a father. I, I didn't always know what to do. It's kind of a learn-as-you-go kind of a thing with Bev and I both, and she learned faster than I did, uh, you know. But uh, in spite of that, I'm so thankful that uh, uh, that for the most part that they've throughout life been uh, respectful, and now I see some grandkids on occasion, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I shouldn't even say this, uh, because somebody's going to know, oh, is it my kid? Who are you talking about? But boy, when I see some of my grandkids at times being disrespectful to their parents, I just want to slap the snot out of them. I just, well, no, I really, I want to bend them over my knee and apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. That's the way I ought to say that. Because that's what they need. They need to learn to respect their parents. Now verse number 6, and I think we're going to wrap it up with this tonight. Verse number 6. In the house of the righteous, isn't that what we all should be striving for? A home that is characterized by righteousness. In the house of the righteous is much treasure. Bev and I, again, we were talking about something today, and I I know I've said this same thing in conversation uh, probably a hundred times more than that, that I'm just, I live in a state of shock that I cannot believe that God has been so good to us and given us so much. I can't. I, I, and I keep thinking back when I was a kid. I, 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 never, I never dreamed that I would live in a house like the house that we live in. I, I, that, that was for millionaires, I thought. I didn't, I, I didn't know anybody that lived in a house like that, really. And, and I certainly never dreamed that, I'd, that we would have a swimming pool right there in our backyard. Are you kidding me? Uh, that's for movie stars. Uh, we'll never have a swimming pool. And We'll never drive an automobile like that car out there, and we, we'll, and, and yet, even without us trying to get any of those things, God just, you know, kind of like said, "Well, here you go." And, and so I'm saying that to say this: God is giving us so much, so many blessings in so many different ways. But let me tell you, there are treasures that go far beyond. Those material things. In the house of the righteous, notice, is much treasure. And, and, and I, I think that relates, you know, to our relationships one with another. The joy of watching your children grow up. The joy of being out there in that football stadium and, you know, in your, Man, I, I about run myself ragged watching Tim play football because I'd, if they were on that end of the field, I'd go from that end to this end. Wherever he went, that's where I was, you know. If he was running for a touchdown, here went a crazy old dad running down the sideline screaming and yelling, you know, and, uh, and, and the joy of being able to, you know, to, to, to share in all of that. And there's absolutely nothing like family. Family, that, that ought to be important to all of us. And then the house of the righteous, that's what makes the difference. To, to have a, a household of, you know, of godly people, folks that love the Lord, is much treasure. You're going to find blessings there you'll never find out in the world. 
uh, the baby was crying, and I, I think every, every day or two I'll see a picture of the baby, Caleb, Caleb, and, and Alex. I love those pictures, uh, you know, and Alex will put that on there, and it, it's just such a blessing because you can just see the joy radiating from Alex. He's like, you know, like a light bulb. He just lit up with that, with that precious little baby. And those are, listen, those are blessings you can't, you can't buy. But in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. In the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Millions, but miserable. Fill in the blank. Howard Hughes, Elvis Presley, Janis Joplin. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. These people that had all of these material things, but no relationship with God, that refused to yield to the Lord, and they were absolutely miserable. In the revenues of the wicked is trouble. One writer said, I don't know who to attribute this to, I just read it somewhere and jotted it down, if we are not satisfied, we are not rich. If we are content, we're never poor. Isn't that true? I'll tell you, if we're not satisfied, we're not rich. Thank God that the Lord gives a satisfaction that you can't find anywhere else in all the world. And so let us use our tongue to praise Him instead of, uh, instead of in the wrong way. Well, I hope tonight that something is said that will be a blessing to you. And Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse number 7. And guess what? <laughs> the lips of the wise. Well, God's not through yet. Somebody says, you know, I just, I just, I don't like to study Proverbs because of the fact that it just, it repeats itself so many times. Well, do you reckon maybe we need that repetition? We need to hear it over and over and over again. So, so I, I hope that each one of us will be blessed as a result. I've asked Tim to come so I can get off of my feet and we're doing, the, of course, the message now because as I said earlier, the folks listening by way of the Internet, they, they can't hear all of the prayer requests, but uh, I, I thought I sent out another prayer prompter today, and evidently I didn't hit the send button, but uh, I just mailed it to Tim from my phone a while ago, and so he has the prayer list, and you can comment on somebody that's on the list. He doesn't need to read all of that unless he wants to. Uh, or you can add someone to the list. Uh, I, I just I just want to mention before I go, uh, Sue Benford, and and as as we've already made known, the fact that Sue is in hospice care, she is at home. Uh, she has stated, that, and this was this was about a week ago now. Uh, she stated that uh, she would receive. Uh, visitors for uh, up to two weeks if able, but doesn't expect to really last longer than that. And maybe you're wondering uh, why she or how she could know that. Well, because the very thing that's taking life from her body, she is the ninth one in succession in her family. And she, believe me, she knows every little sign what to look for and uh, it, it, it's amazing. Bev and I got there along with Kenneth and Shelley 
I guess it was yesterday, maybe the day before. But when we got there, and she's got the the living room of that little apartment over there kind of just cleaned out and four chairs and I think a wheelchair setting over there. She's got the oxygen tank and she's got a cord. I've never seen one that long. It's so she can roam and it'll reach all the way across the room. And remember, this is a woman supposed to be that's dying I, I, from what they say. And she never sat down. She never stopped moving. And she, uh, it, it is unbelievable the things she said. I, I'll probably write something about it maybe later on, but, uh, but she said, you know, all these years, she said, you know, I've known about the love of God. I knew God loved me. But she said, uh, just here a while back, she said, I, I asked God to help me to, you know, to actually feel and experience that love, what it's really like. And, and she said he did. And she said, now I know from experience what God's love is like. And I'm telling you what, she comes in church and sits right there and quite as a church mouse doesn't say a word. And you would think, you know, it's, it's like she's a different person. Right, Laura? Laura and Hired, they were over there. And it's like, who is this woman? Uh, and it's just, it's amazing. So pray for her. Uh, pray for her. I don't know how much longer she'll receive uh, visitors, but if you get a chance, you might want to run by there. Tim, come ahead, son. Let me give you the microphone where it